Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Family, hosted by Focus President and author Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller, and uh, Jim, as we talk about something here today, I'm always amazed that we have such an avalanche of response. We're, we're going to hit the topic of forgiveness, mm -hmm. and it seems to be something that almost every one of us struggles with. John, I think it's one of the core issues in our relationships, in our marriages, in our families, with our kids, uh, maybe with a neighbor, this idea of forgiveness. And I don't know why, but it's so hard to do it. It goes against our, our flesh. Hmm. I think we want to hold on, for whatever reason, humanly speaking, we want to hold on to a grudge. And, uh, you know, Jesus came and said, you forgive. If somebody offend you, forgive them. How many times should I forgive them? Mm -hmm. 70 times seven. What's so amazing is I think there's, an, there's something that happens in our heart when we forgive that is so profound that we can't even explain it. It, it releases us from bitterness mm -hmm. and other things, mm -hmm. spiritually, intellectually, emotionally. And today we do want to talk about a profound story of forgiveness with our guest, Grove Norwood, who hails from Folsher, Texas, and has an incredible background. Uh, Grove, you flew in Vietnam as a fighter pilot, some four to 500 missions. I can't imagine that. Uh, you're also a businessman and have had some amazing life experiences. Uh, you're really an interesting guy. Uh, but the most important thing, what your life seems to be about, as I've heard your story and watched the DVD, is this theme of forgiveness. And let's start by going back to how you met an African-American man named Ulysses Parker. Well, it's good to be here. Thank you for having me. And um, yes, I met Ulysses as a result of a prayer when we moved back to Texas um, and I settled down west of Houston in the country. I did pray a prayer. Lord, I don't know any people here in this part of Texas, but send me one family that I can look in on and for whom $5 would be a lot of money. I didn't have a lot of money, but I wanted to be able to reach out to somebody and just uh, help them a little bit. Tell us about Ulysses and uh, who was he and what attracted you to him? Well, um, passing uh, his little church one day, and I passed this little um, church, uh, which was primarily in our part of the country. We have a, a white church down the road, and then we have the folks who are black in our community, the African-American friends, go to the black church. And I passed it, didn't know anybody, didn't know any black people at that point. And I would pass that church um, every Sunday, every Saturday, uh, many times during the week. And so one day passing that church, I saw on a Saturday morning, three men standing in the parking lot. And I turned around and went down. They were looking at a big hole in the side of the church. The connection that opened my heart was this man named Ulysses Parker was standing there with a small little four-year-old boy. Mm. We had just had my son born into this world just a few months before, and I thought, here's my connection. Mm. I've got a little boy. See, it's an honor to be invited to someone's home, mm. and I was hoping that I could find a way to get to their home. And mm. so I said, maybe I could bring my baby over and introduce him to your little boy sometime, Ulysses. And he said, yes, sir, you can. Come on. Mm. But that day they told me that the air conditioners had been stolen out of the church. If you can mm. imagine somebody being so hard up uh, as to need to steal air conditioners from a church. And there was my opportunity. My heart just felt um, it was time. So I jumped in the truck and went and 
got an air conditioner and stuck it in that afternoon, and we chained it to the wall, mm-hmm. literally <laughs> with padlock and deadbolts through the wall of the loader. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody got up. that air conditioner Yes, out. they did. They a few weeks later, they oh. came and Two weeks the, later? Uh-huh, a oh few. I don't goodness. know if it was two or three, Jim. But, oh, my goodness. But that launched us off, and for a while, they wondered, why would he do this? Mm. But I began to be able to go to Ulysses' home and see just how difficult their living conditions were. Mm-hmm. Just so difficult. Grove, let me, there's a scripture that really jumps out at me, and I want to mention it to you, and just your response to this. James one twenty two says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Mm-hmm. Do what it says. Um, it seems to be what's lacking so often in our Christian walk today. Yeah. It's easy to talk about the right things and even to present an image that you are doing these things when in fact maybe we're not so to get the courage to actually step up and do what james is telling us to do there don't merely learn about it or speak about it but actually go do the word that's what you did yeah i think that's what god the answer to your question for me is god just doesn't want us to plan out what we're going to do for the rest of our lives as christians but to just say I'll step out today and do the next thing, Lord. What Mm. is the next thing you have for me? Well, I mean, that's a big statement with what people are about to hear because you developed this relationship with them. Um, Tell us about the home, his home, and what you took on as a project there. Ulysses could not read, write, or tell time. For all of his life, since he was about six years old, he had been sent out into the fields, had to quit school. He was pulling cane in South Texas there, and worked all of his life. And uh, he was a good man who loved the Lord, had a severe speech impediment. His home was in terrible condition. And to me, walking into his house, his little... I don't want to call it a shack at the time. I know if his kids were listening to this right now, they would agree. They remember the rain coming in on mom and daddy's mattress and how it began to to take on different color and odor over the years because it had to be dried out so often. They did not have hot water, never had hot water. You can't bathe your babies in cold water in the wintertime, but that's what they had to do and heat it up on the one burner. Three burners were not working on the little stove. And so over a period of years, I would go out there and help out from time to time. We'd see a project and I'd, you know, little by little, God would bless me with a little extra money and I'd take a new little Kenmore stove out there, you know, Mm. for burning. Not a big deal to people who've got regular jobs, but a huge deal to Ulysses who had to go out and and put in fence lines for a living and dig ditches and mow yards and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it was done in the right attitude, the right heart, and uh, Ulysses and his wife uh, accepted it in that way. And you really had a a friendship beyond just being there to help a neighbor. That's right. Uh, That friendship developed over time, but then something happened, April 10th, 2000. Um, Tell us about that. Well, um, the night of April 10th, uh, there was a fatality on the south side of this little town, not far from where I live. It was, it's in Wallace, Texas, and four or five young people were killed in a head-on collision on the south end of town on April 10th. And before the first responders had all gotten to that scene, another fatality occurred on the north end of town. And a little four-year-old girl was hit on a country road 
at twilight and left in a hit-and-run accident. And um, I didn't know any of the children on the south end of that horrible night, but I knew the little girl that was Joy, our daughter. And someone sped into the night and uh, left her lying on the unmarked asphalt road, a little country road, didn't even have a white line or anything on it. And um, uh, I was in Houston at the time, and getting out there was a, a traumatic in and of itself. And by the time I got to the scene, it was pitch dark, and I saw the lights of the helicopter lifting off the prairie out there, and they were telling me on a sporadic cell phone connection, this was some years ago, and the towers were not like they are today, but they were yelling, where are you, where are you? Uh, They're leaving now, the helicopter's leaving, and as I heard that on the phone, I saw lights of a chopper leaving. It reminded me so much of Vietnam when men on the ground would be calling to me in the air saying, where are you? We need you. It was a bad ride. Mm. And so the chopper left and flew to Houston, and when I got there, of course, she was gone, and the road was just filled with people and first responders and uh, a crime scene, you know, the yellow tape and everything. And so that began, for the next couple of days, a hunt for who could have done this. And the community was very upset and broken. And um, calls for justice were coming out, friends, that I had. You know, we had one or two sheriff's department people in our little church. Well, we're going to find this person, Grove. We're going to find this person. Then I got a call. A couple of days later, Mr. Norwood, we know who, who hit Joy. We matched some headlight fragments that were at the scene. Uh, with a pickup truck that we located there in Wallace, and it's a perfect match. And the owner said he remembers hitting something, but he didn't know it was a little girl. Hmm. And I said, well, who is it? And they said, Ulysses Parker. Hmm. Your friend, Ulysses Parker. Hmm. And I hung up the phone, and uh, it rang again, and it was Carrie Parker, his wife. And she was crying, and she said, Mr. Grove, she said, they tell me my Ulysses killed baby Joy. What are we going to do? And I said, you stay right there, Carrie. I'm coming over right now. And my brother was in town because of what had happened. He flew in from North Carolina, and we got in the car. And we drove over to Ulysses' house. And he was sitting there, silent, staring at the floor. And he looked at me. He couldn't articulate his feelings. He didn't have the vocabulary. And uh, to really share, Mm. he just was so broken. And uh, we walked in, and I knelt down. He was sitting down, and and I hugged him, and I said, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It was Mm. an accident. We're going to get through this together. I love you, and you're my friend. And we prayed. My brother knelt down, and we all prayed Mm. together with him. Mm, and uh, that was such a concern. I, in fact, I told my friends in the house who were there were some friends there, and I said, Ulysses is going to be scared to death. So I'm going over there right now. Mm. And so it was an accident, and he yeah. was my friend. Grove, I've got to ask you, though. I mean, in that moment, I mean, it, it is a beautiful statement of forgiveness because it was an accident, and he did not mean any maliciousness toward your baby right. joy. But as a man, and that's your daughter, really, how did you find the spiritual wherewithal to tap in <laughs> to God as yeah. the source at that moment? Because a lot of people, mm-hmm. a lot of men, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. would think of a lot of different options. Either yeah. I'm going to harm you, I'm going to hurt you. Yeah. Um, 
talk about that for a moment because there's so many who well, find it difficult to friend, tap in. Yeah, some of my friends later said, Grove, I have to confess, I was mad at Ulysses. I was mad. I wanted justice to be done here. This is not right. He didn't have a driver's license, never had had one. Uh, you know, and no insurance, and the lights were low and weak on the truck. Um, I understood all that. But to answer your question, it's the a parable of the gospel. Ezekiel thirty six twenty six says, I will give you a new heart. And when I do, then you will want to follow my ways. And that's what he had been preparing when he changed my heart out some years prior to that and gave me what I thought was just a fake thing. I thought Christians were just faking it. Nobody could be this much in love with somebody they can't see. Why would they read the Bible over and over? I, I thought all that was just kind of people making things up and psyching themselves up into a mental state of mm. excitement until it happened to me. Mm. And that heart change is a real thing. Mm. It is the something else that happens that causes people to start a ministry like Focus on the Family and causes people to give to it. It's because they have a heart that compels them. Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six says, I will give you a new heart, and I will put my spirit in you, and when I do, everything's going to change. So he was preparing my heart all those years. And Grove, to be fair, you struggled the first night or two. You had that exchange with the Lord where you were expressing anger <laughs> and a rawness before the Lord. The Lord can take that, can't yeah, oh, he? He wants yeah. that honesty. But you were probably asking him some pretty deep questions mm -hmm, like, why mm -hmm. why me? Why joy, Lord? Why mm -hmm. would you take my daughter? Mm -hmm. How did you reconcile that? Was it him doing that? Or was it simply the circumstances that played out that God then used to mend hearts? We got back from the hospital in the middle of the night, and the house was lit up with friends from the community in our little country town. We don't even have a stoplight in Simonton, Texas, where the church is. And, and I went down to a little lake behind the house. I just couldn't take any more people as wonderful as they were to be there. And I went down to the lake, and I looked up at the stars. And... Um, and I put my fist in the air, and it was not anger. I wasn't mad at God. I was in anguish. I was in anguish. I understood now why people wanted to tear their clothes off and shave their heads with this type of anguish. And I stuck my fist in the air, and I said, How could you have let this happen? I was talking to the God of the Bible. I knew exactly who I was talking to. And I said, Where were you? Nothing good can come out of this. I don't want my Christian friends coming down to this lake and tonight and telling me all things work together for good, Grove. Romans 8, 28. I said, I know that verse, and it doesn't apply to me. Not this. Mm -hmm. Not now. Mm -hmm. I said, you cannot possibly do anything that is such a greater good here that would make all this worthwhile. And I ranted for I don't know how long, maybe five or six or seven minutes, and I was exhausted. I'm just telling you, my, it's a wonder the lights weren't coming on in the houses down the lake where we lived. When I got worn out, I walked back to the house, and I stopped in the middle of the yard and turned around, and I looked back at the lake, and I said to him, my Father in heaven, but if you can, do a greater good 
I'm not talking about some little thing that's a little good, somebody that's improved here or they get inspired. I mean something so good, so big, that one day I would look back on this night and say it was worth it. If you can do a greater good to make me feel like that about this, Mm. let me live to see it. Mm. Grove, I mean, that is powerful and honest and... um I just deeply appreciate the fact that you're giving so many permission to have that discussion with the Lord with something that has happened in their life. Uh, It may not be as traumatic. It might be. Um, What then happened in your heart, though? I mean, you made this statement. Did you make it in some way uh, a mocking statement, or was it really sincere? Oh, no. It was. He knew that I loved him. And he knew I was going to try to get through this. And later on, about a year later, uh, Jim, I realized that he knew what it was like to lose a child also. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at that moment when I realized that, I loved him even more. Uh I felt a kinship to the God of the Bible like I had never known when I realized, hey, we've both experienced sudden trauma. Mine a little bit quicker than Jesus's, but nevertheless, uh, the love he had for his son far surpasses anything I could know in this human life. Grove, um, so many are listening again that are maybe back at square one where you were. Uh-huh. Over time, over the days and the weeks and the months and now the years, um, what would you say to them if they're still back there in that bitterness? They may have had that discussion with the Lord, but it wasn't hmm. as sincere. Yeah. What would you say to them? Well, I, I, I know I'm talking right now and your listeners to two kinds of people. Those who know what this heart surgery is all about, they've had it happen to them, and those who've heard about it. So to those of you who are true believers and who have had that life-changing experience where you can look back and say, well, I used to be that way, and now I'm this way, and I'm not faking it. It's for real. I would say that that verse and what you'll hear, I guess, as we continue on with these discussions, you'll hear that verse is absolutely true, and it applies to everyone who is a child of the God of the Bible, who has been adopted into his family. And so I would say to you, if you're in the middle of a crucible right now, my friend, cry your tears. Get your friends to cry with you. Put your head on their shoulders. And scratch and claw on the sides of that crucible, but hang on, because I'm telling you, like the old spiritual says, a better day is coming. Mm. I am a living witness, living proof to the fact I did not believe anything could ever make me say it's been worth it. Mm. And let me say in part two of that, Jim, if I may, for those of you who have not been adopted into the family, the verse in Romans 8.28 doesn't apply to you. And God does not promise that everything bad and everything good that happens to you will work for your betterment and your good. The verse doesn't apply to you. I'm so sorry to say, but that's what the verse says. It says, all things work together for the good of those who have been called according to God's purposes Mm. for their life. What is God's purpose for your life, my friend? His purpose for you is to love him with all your heart and soul and mind and your neighbor as yourself. So my prayer for you in that category, my friend, is to ask him for a new heart. 
Mm. And Grove, in that context, on the other side of it, for those who are called yeah. by him, the need to respond after the grieving, after the mourning, in such a way that honors your commitment to the Lord. That's what's so beautifully illustrated in your story, is that even in the pain and the throes of losing your daughter, mm-hmm. um, you kept the conversation going with God. Yeah. A lot and of people will end it there. That's right. And a lot of people will go and isolate themselves. And I would say, without realizing it, I needed my Christian men around me. I needed my friends and my church family. And so I would say, if you try to do it on your own, my friend, it's going to be an even rougher go. Because they cried with me, and mm-hmm. they bore some of that burden. And there still are. Grove, uh, again, with Ulysses, uh, mm-hmm. just an update there. And then I think we need to close in prayer for those people, A, that don't know the Lord, and B, maybe if they know the Lord, Romans 8.28 has not been fulfilled in their heart. Uh-huh. Uh, but what's happened with Ulysses? Well, Ulysses and I continued on to be friends, and he... Uh, died putting in his okra in his garden uh, a few years later of a heart attack. He died on Columbus Road, the same road that Joy mm. died on. Mm. He died about four or 500 yards up the road from her, facing in that same direction, actually. But he died a forgiven man. He did. He did. And he knew he was. And he knew that we loved him. And it was okay. It was okay. And then Carrie died in the little house. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So she died of cancer. Um, Grove, what an amazing illustration of God's heart for the believer, for the unbeliever, for those who make uh, horrible errors and bad choices and even uh, mistakes. Uh, God can solve them, but he solves them through the love and uh, the heart of his church, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Let's pray for folks right now. Let's pray for those that don't know the Lord. Let's Mm -hmm. pray for those that have a wound so deep they can never imagine God could heal them. Would you do that? I I would. You would like for me to? Father, in this beautiful setting up here in the high mountains of Colorado, we lift our voice up to you and say thank you for the opportunity to speak to that person out there right now who may be in that crucible and who is shaking their fist, maybe not in anger at you, but in anguish and saying, how could this have happened? Mm. Oh, and they may be wondering where you are, Father. Help them through this story, this parable of your gospel, to see that you have not left planet Earth. You have not left town. You have not left the building. You are right there in this very room where they're listening, telling them through us, that you are there, and if they will just trust you for it. Lord, help them to ask the questions, do I believe it or do I not? You either believe it or you don't, my friend. Father, I pray you'll comfort and encourage, and above all, bring people around them who know the love of the Lord well enough to be able to express your love to them through their own lives and their own hearts, Father. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And uh, Grove, we need you to come back next time because uh, the Lord did fulfill that request that you, with your heart, prayed out to him that night about Romans 8, 28. Let's come back next time and finish the story. You bet. The, The greater good began at the funeral.
Well, um, our listeners are going to have to tune in next time to hear that greater good, uh, Grove, and how God worked out everything uh, for his glory in ways that uh, you, you just couldn't understand at the time. And if you'd like more information about how to forgive the way Grove did, uh, we have a number of articles and links on our website. I'll encourage you to go find those and to uh, not delay in letting go and forgiving. Our program today was provided by Focus on the Family. And on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team here, thanks for listening in. I'm John Fuller. I'm amazed at how God worked in Grove's heart to help him forgive so quickly and completely. It can be so hard, and yet it's what God requires, and it's the best thing for us. You might want to speak to a counselor and unpack some of the issues that we've touched on here if you're stuck and not able to make any progress in forgiveness. We have caring Christian counselors here who will talk with you, maybe provide ideas of resources for you, or at least give you some guidance and direction. Pray with you. So if you need that kind of help, don't hesitate. That's why we're here. Just get in touch with us. We have a range of ways you can connect. You can give us a call on 031-716-3300 or connect with our counseling team through the counseling page on our website at safamily.co.za. While you're on the website, have a look at the resource on offer titled When Loved Ones Are Called Home. It helps readers make the physical, emotional, and relational adjustments needed when a loved one departs this life, and it gives honest answers to the most difficult questions and doubts we have. You can order that through our website or when you call us. Thanks for tuning in today. For Focus on the Family Africa, I'm Graham Schnell, inviting you back next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.